Nothing could have prepared them for what they stumbled upon. Having walked this set of woods after school every day for years, the two brothers had never seen or heard anything like this before. It's not all too common to find talking gourds, especially not those who threaten to eat you, but nobody believed their story. Nobody believed until it was too late. But before we begin, if you love cryptids and want to learn the full story, both the legends and the facts, delivered as a narrative story, then this guided tour is for you. Roll on over and tap the subscribe, like, or review button, depending on where you watch or listen. Now, grab your gourds and get the carving tools ready. The tour is about to start. I'm Cody. And I'm Elaine. And you're touring Cryptids Cryptids Across across the the Atlas. Atlas. Tales of carnivorous man-eating plants have been found throughout our history. Some of these tales come in the form of entertainment. Many of you are familiar with the 1986 horror musical comedy Little Shop of Horrors, starring Rick Moranis, Alan Green, Bill Murray, and Steve Martin. If you're unfamiliar with this particular movie, it's basically about a singing Venus flytrap with a penchant for human blood, a demented dentist boyfriend, and a nerdy hero saving the damsel in distress. Yeah, it pretty much sums all of the 80s for you. Other accounts of man-eating plants are brought to us through scholarly works, popularized in the 1880s. In Phil Robinson's 1881, Under the Punka Tree, the story follows Peregrine Oriel, the author's uncle, and a great traveler who nearly escaped a man-sucking tree while on a long journey through Central Africa, where three native men accompanied him. According to the story, one day, while wandering through a fern forest, all four men were out trying to catch some venison for dinner. After walking a few feet deep, Peregrine notices a solitary tree growing in the middle of the clearing. Fascinated by its peculiar nature, Peregrine found himself entranced by its beauty as he was watching the strange tree about 50 feet away. A family of deer wandered by. Just as it tried taking off with its family, the fawn was suddenly in the grasp of this peculiar tree. As Peregrine describes, it seemed like the branches swept the fawn off its feet and pulled it under its branches. Horrified at what he saw, Peregrine covered his eyes, saying to himself, it's only my imagination, repeatedly. After a few moments, he slowly removed his hand from his face, only to see the tree standing still and the fawn on its feet slowly walking past it as if nothing happened. Perplexed, Peregrine laid down his rifle and walked closer to the tree. That's when he spotted one of the men accompanying him, Atona, trying to sneak up on the fawn. But once again, the tree's branches seemed to lunge out forward, only this time, the tree swept the fawn and the young man under it. According to Peregrine, the tree was convulsed with motion, leaned forward, wept its thick foliaged boughs to the ground and enveloped from my sight the pursuer and the pursued. I was within a hundred yards and the cry of Atona from the midst of the tree came to me in all the clearness of its agony. There was one then stifled strangling scream and except for the agitation of the leaves where they had closed upon the boy, there was not a sign of life. I stood there, changed from all semblance of a human being. Not all the terrors of earth could have made me take my eye from the awful plant or my foot off the ground. The tree was quivering through every branch, muttering for blood, 
and helpless with rooted feet, yearning with every branch toward me. Each separate leaf is agitated and hungry. The tree before me seemed to have become a live beast. While this story may sound bizarre and quite unlikely, it isn't the only one of its kind. Another tale in 1888, with the same title as the previous story, The Man-Eating Tree, follows a scientist, Carl Lecce, who encounters a plant with a base like a pineapple, though this isn't your average tropical fruit. According to the story, this strange fruit had eight long leaves, fat and spiky like an agave's, and white tendrils that moved languorously in the air. When a woman is sent to drink from the sweet liquid pulled at the plate's top, the tendrils grab her, the leaves close in, and a mix of plant fluid and blood seeps down the trunk. You know, previously, I would have said pineapple was one of my favorite fruits, but after hearing this story, I'm not so sure how I feel when scientists now say that pineapple is the only fruit that can eat you back. I don't think I'll ever look at this fruit the same way again. Whether it's fictional bloodthirsty singing Venus flytraps, scholarly stories of strange trees that engulf both humans and deer alike, or the most outlandish tales of vicious fruit attacks, there's one thing we can be sure of. Some of the most deadly flora can be found in our own backyard. A pinch of water hemlock, a drop of deadly nightshade, a dash of white snake root, a little bit of castor bean, mix in a little oleander and rosary pea. Oh, and don't forget to add a splash of tobacco. No, we're not making some special Halloween potion stirred in a witch's cauldron, but with names like these, it's not too far off to assume something deadly is afoot. Each of these plants can harbor the most deadly poisons known to man. For instance, water hemlock? Oh, it's just deemed as the most violently toxic plant in North America. No biggie. Deadly nightshade? Oh, it causes a little bit of paralysis in the involuntary muscles of the body, including the heart. Some of these names might harken back to episode 31, if you caught that one, where we talked about flying potion and a certain effect this might have on werewolves. But the scariest part? You might have some of these in your own backyard. Perhaps you may even have walked past these plants without a second thought. While many of these plants seem harmless and can look pretty tasty from afar, one can never be too careful. It's kind of like those gourds hanging out on your front porch. Our featured cryptid of the week may have you think twice about carving another jack-o'-lantern face. While many of our previous cryptid stories revolve around hairy beasts like Sasquatch or underwater creatures like the Ogopogo, perhaps the strangest cryptid we've covered so far has been those personified instruments that come to life when we're not looking, called Tsukamagami. And though we've encountered cryptids made out of furniture, we've yet to come across those made out of food, until we came across the Devouring Gourd. According to Bantu folklore, gourds and pumpkins have the potential to grow into giant, devouring creatures, quickly swallowing people and animals whole. There are even stories in Swahili that suggest that these gourds may have been the reincarnation of ogres or wicked magicians. Honestly, what could be spookier than a man-eating gourd cryptid? So in honor of this special Halloween episode, 
Here is the tale of the devouring gourd. And for this story, we're going to let you carve it up yourself. So shape it into what you want and don't forget to spit out those seeds. The two young brothers were as thick as thieves and in more ways than one. Being twin brothers, of course, they were each other's built-in best friend. Having three older sisters, they knew they had to stick together. But what they also stuck to was their thievery and skilled silver tongues. In fact, making up stories was their favorite pastime. Ever since they could speak, they were always trying to swindle their neighbors in the Usambra village. They were always trying to outdo the other on who could tell the biggest fib and get away with it. Many a time, they would swindle fruit from local vendors, with one boy staging the scene by asking for advice or directions, while the other one would sneakily steal an apple or a cucumber from the vendor's cart. They were also really good at entertaining the locals as they shared Indiana Jones-like stories of near-death escapes in exchange for tip money. And since they had three older sisters, the brothers often blamed them for their shortcomings to avoid getting in trouble. And it worked, at least for a little while. Eventually, the other villagers caught on to their deception and so did their parents. I mean, you can only blame others for your mistakes, swindle locals for dimes, and steal produce from hardworking neighbors for so long before you get caught. However, just as they were good at lying, cheating, and stealing, they were equally good at getting out of their punishment. While the repercussions were always the same, no outside play for a week, extra chores around the house, and no special dessert after dinner, their father always let them off the hook. Because after all, boys will be boys. But as the young brother soon learned, you can only cry wolf, or cry gourd, for so long. It had been a month since the boys had told their very last lie. The last time they got in trouble, their mother and father both agreed to ground them for not only a couple of days, but two whole weeks, and double the chores, no outside play, and worst of all, no dessert. This had been their longest and worst punishment yet. When the two weeks were up, both boys vowed to never lie, cheat, or steal again, both swearing an oath to their family and the local villagers. No more stealing fruit, no more outlandish folktales, and no more blaming their older sisters. They would be on their best behavior if it was the last thing they did. One day, after school let out for the evening, the two young brothers were out walking past a nearby field on their way home. Their trek home was always the same. Walk past the apple tree farm, trek through a section of woods, and up a winding dirt road. All in all, it was about a 45-minute walk from school. But the boys had walked this path every day for years and nothing peculiar ever happened. As they waved at the local apple farmer, they continued their journey sharing their favorite parts of the school day, like what they ate for lunch, their least favorite subject, and the piles of homework they definitely did not want to finish. Because they had been so engrossed in their conversation, neither of the boys had been paying any attention to where they were going or how long they had been out. They knew these woods pretty well, but something fell off. They should have been through the woods by now. Once they realized it was beginning to get dark, they knew their mother would be worried and they didn't want to give her another reason for grounding them again. As they began picking up the pace, one of the boys noticed a significant yellow, oddly shaped figure protruding out of one of the bushes. Interested in what this weird thing was sticking out of the ground, they tried getting a closer look. 
After a few steps closer, they realized it wasn't a strange figure, but a rather large gourd growing out of the ground. While it was abnormally large, they didn't really think anything of it. Oh, it's just a gourd, one of the boys said. But as they knelt to get a better view, to their surprise, the gourd responded, If you pluck me, I'll pluck you. Not only were they terrified at its size, but its apparent ability to talk made them run as fast as their legs could carry them all the way back into their village home. Once they finally caught their breath, they knew they had to tell someone. And as much as they didn't want to take their chances with their parents not believing them and risking getting grounded again, they also knew what they saw and heard was true. Try as they might, pleading with their parents to see for themselves, they wouldn't budge. Both mother and father warned the boys what would happen if they kept on with their latest lie and wouldn't be made fools in believing this far-fetched story. After they glanced at each other, they finally hung their heads in defeat and walked to their bedroom. What should we do? asked one of the boys. I'm not sure. We know what we saw. We know what we heard. But nobody will believe us unless we take them to the spot where it was lying, said the other. While the strange talking gourd was too weird to be accurate, they also knew that with every fiber of their being, their encounter was real and something was wrong. They just couldn't shake this dreadful feeling that something terrible was about to happen. But how could they convince their parents when they've told one too many lies before? And as they walked back and forth trying to figure out their next steps, all three of their older sisters insisted that they show them the large gourd. As the boys exchanged looks, unsure if this was a good idea, one of them spoke up and said, Okay, we'll take you. But if it's still there, you have to convince mom and dad to take a look for themselves. They won't believe us otherwise. Deal, all three sisters said in unison, and that was the plan. That very next day after school, both boys and their older sisters walked past the apple farmer and into the wood line. Seemingly, everything was going according to plan. After what seemed like an eternity, they finally found where the large gourd sat. None of the older sisters could believe their eyes. This was indeed the largest gourd they had ever seen, and the boys couldn't believe their eyes either, but not because they had never seen it before, as this was the very gourd that they saw yesterday, but because the gourd was now even bigger, now nearing the height of the boys. One of the boys exclaimed, look how big that gourd is getting. He's even bigger than we stumbled upon it yesterday. But as extraordinary large as the gourd was, it didn't make a sound. So the boy repeated what he thought was the magical phrase from the day before, but the gourd sat still. Although the older sisters did see how big the gourd was, they felt betrayed. This talking gourd wasn't so talkative after all. Sitting mute like most other gourds do, both sisters quickly ran back home and told their parents that their brothers had been caught lying again. Yes, they took them to see a large gourd, but so what? It couldn't talk. This was just another one of their tall tales. Again, warning them a second time about what happens when they tell lies, their father threatened that if they were caught again, they would be grounded for an entire month. Devastated, the boys had no idea what to do. They couldn't fathom why the gourd refused to speak in front of their sisters. But what had been more concerning was how big the gourd had gotten overnight. And it's words from that first encounter, if you pluck me, I'll pluck you, sent shivers down their spines. What did this cryptic message mean? How had it grown double in size? And where did this gourd even come from? 
Was this punishment for all the lies they had told in the past? Desperate for their parents to believe them, all these questions and more kept both boys up and wide awake all night. But little did they know, these questions would be the least of their worries. Since the gourd hadn't said a word in the presence of their sisters, the boys decided to try and ignore their encounter. They both agreed to keep walking their usual truck home and to not stop for any reason whatsoever. However, left unbothered, the large gourd only continued to grow over the next few days, and grow and grow it did. About a week after the boys' initial encounter, the gourd had eventually grown to the size of a large house. Moreover, it somehow uprooted itself from its vines and rolled its way through the Usamba village. Once there, the gourd found where the boys had been sleeping and swallowed them up whole, alongside their parents, their older sisters, and everyone else in the village. Satisfied with having consumed everyone within its reach, it continued to roll itself away into a nearby lake. But that's not entirely the end of the story. According to this Bantu legend, one woman had survived the gourd's rampage. Somehow, awoken by such a frightening sight and seeing this gourd devour her entire village, the young woman, still pregnant with her unborn child, slipped out the back door and ran towards the woods, hiding there until morning. The next day, she walked back to see everything in ruin. Houses were ripped in half, crops trampled, and not a single soul was left. But she didn't give up. Once her son was born, they lived together in the ruins of that village. And several years later, when the young boy was old enough to hunt alone, he asked about what happened to his father. Finally, after holding in the story for all those long years, she told her son the truth. She told him about the devouring gourd and how it took out the entire village in one night. She pointed to the nearby lake and said, the gourd that swallowed your father is now living at the bottom of that lake. Her son, having learned the truth about his father, decided he would avenge his father and his entire village and slay the devouring gourd once and for all. The following day, grabbing his bow and several arrows, he walked toward the water's edge and saw the gourd's ears sticking out of the water. He began taunting the vegetable, saying, Gourd, come out! Gourd, come out and face me! Annoyed at the young boy's confidence and enraged that the boy had survived all these years, the gourd hauled itself out of the lake. But on guard, the boy was ready to avenge his father and the village he never knew. He fired arrow after arrow, but kept barely missing or the arrows just glanced off the gourd's hard flesh. The boy looked down and saw he had one final arrow. He knew that if this last shot wasn't successful, he'd let his mother down and wouldn't be able to cast vengeance on the gourd for what it had done. He also knew the gourd would be completely victorious and would soon devour him and his mother as well. So with all the confidence he can muster, he drew back his bowstring and let loose his final arrow. Flying at top speed, it pierced deep into the flesh, causing the gourd to yell out, shrivel up, and die. Wanting to be sure the gourd can never devour another soul again, the young boy got out his hunting knife and cut a large slit down the middle of it. As he finally pulled out the knife from the gourd's flesh, 
Somehow, miraculously, something began to move inside. Soon, all the villagers were pouring out of this gourd's deep chasm, miraculously unharmed, yes, including his father. The young boy was deemed a hero and was praised until his last dying breath decades later. Now, whether you believe in these tales or not, one thing is for certain, some flora are probably best not messed with, lest you too find yourself in the most dreadfully gorgeous fate. If you love cryptids and want to learn even more about the creatures we just talked about, find us on TikTok or Instagram. Just search username at the cryptid atlas. By the way, the episode you just witnessed is both a podcast and YouTube video, so whichever format you prefer, we have you covered. Also, check out our interactive cryptid map to browse the globe and learn about cryptids from your favorite areas. Every episode we make adds another pin to our map. You can find our social channels, the map, and more at thecryptidatlas.com. And when you find us, be sure to tap that follow button and get in on the action by dropping a comment on our recent videos. If you enjoy the show, consider sharing it on with a friend. Sharing the spooky love with someone else is the best compliment you could ever give us. And if you listen on Apple or Spotify, consider leaving an honest review to help other listeners know what to expect. Thanks for touring cryptids across the Atlas. Until next time, keep your eyes open. You never know what you might see just on the edge of the road.